Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to our podcast, Built Different. Once again, we're back with another episode and a very, very interesting guest. To be fair, I'm low-key excited to hear what he has to say. Um, Benita's really excited. She has been so raving, raving <laughs> about you, Eric. She has been raving. And honestly, I've to be fair, like I've seen you around. I'm not a stalker. I've seen your work online and stuff of like course, that. Eric and I thought, is a celebrity. And I thought it was amazing. So I would love to introduce the incredible, the incredible Eric Ahige. Eric. Thank you so much, ladies. It's such an honor to be on the podcast uh, with two amazing ladies. And I can't wait to get into the discussion today. Yeah. So Eric, tell us a bit about yourself. Like, what do you do? Anything, really? Yeah, a bit about myself. So my name is Eric. As you know, you both said it. I'm 19. I'm based in Longford. I'm very proud to be based in Longford. It's a small county, but I call it the greatest county in Ireland. Um, I'm of Nigerian descent. My two parents are from Nigeria, mm-hmm. uh, from the Benin tribe. Um, studying corporate law in Anyway Galway, and mm-hmm. probably describe myself as maybe a political youth activist. I'm involved with Black and Irish, uh, an organization that Benicia is also involved with, also that aims to promote the positive yes. integration of Black Irish people in Irish society. So that's me in a nutshell lovely what do you do in black and irish yeah i'm the politics coordinator so my main job is to try and um for one of them is to amp up representation and involvement uh, of the black irish community in the political realm here in ireland mm. get more black irish people involved get us out voting um also um i want to I, I work on lobbying politicians also to push the interests of the black irish community we have a lot of plans in this area too and lastly to just promote political education um mm. within our community online on our page so these are the two main goals at, at this time would you like to be a politician yourself good question uh <laughs> would i like to be a politician it's been asked me a lot i'm not too sure I, I can't answer the question like you two ladies um i definitely believe in improving the community contributing yeah. to the community in a positive way so down the line if i think politics will allow me to do that in an effective way maybe so um but we'll have to wait yeah. and see I'll tell you a secret, though. I think Benicia is going to make a very good politician one day. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> you know, it's because Eric and I had a lovely conversation because mm-hmm. I recently joined People Before Profit. I used really? to be ah. Labour Party, a part of Labour Youth. Um, yeah, no, I just joined um, People Before Profit. It just kind of aligns with my values. Maybe it's because I'm not really a realist. I'm too much of an optimist. I'm too optimistic. But I genuinely believe that there's good people out there. And good positive and ethical change can happen <laughs> but i'm not too sure about eric, eric. <laughs> i'm joking yeah then like eric what's your view right now with the black people which are in politics at the moment that's a great question um well recently thankfully we've had a councillor from longford actually Uremo mm-hmm. she was appointed or elected as the mayor of longford so she's the first ever black, black yeah so yeah, we'll prove to her. I thought that was a huge achievement. And I think she's an incredible figure, so positive, so optimistic, yeah. a great activist. So with those that I see in politics at the moment, there's, there's been candidates here and there that I've come across online too. They've all been amazing and they're all opening doors for future uh, politicians that may come from our community too. So everything I see is definitely positive. Yeah, I met her once and um, the Tory Shock was doing this huge panel on women and she was speaking i was like wow 
you're really in the doll hey but it was it was great and it's it's nice to see that representation that one day like she's paving the way for us if we ever decide to you know yeah she may be a part of fina fall um i believe but that's okay that's absolutely controversy yes (laughs) this is why she'll never be a politician (laughs) she's still doing um amazing things you know like despite you know I think she's what she's doing. She's a trailblazer, despite. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like I feel like, despite like your political affiliations and stuff like that, it's nice to see someone on the up and up in mm-hmm. a position one might aspire to be. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, Benita, do you want to take the next question? So, guys, as you know, on this episode, we um, told you last week that we we're going to be talking about colorism. So I'd actually like to talk to Eric and ask, bring the question to you, Eric. Mm. Have you ever experienced colorism? And it doesn't have to necessarily be personal, maybe, you know, to your relatives, as we do know that. I think it's quite fair to say that I think colorism affects both Black men and women kind of equally but i think definitely within the media black women are the ones that definitely suffer the most so before you get into that question can you uh, like to begin like start to explain what colorism is for those who might not know what it is because we're so familiar with the term and stuff yeah of course um i'd say when it comes to discrimination on color the first term that pops in people's mind is racism and that's discrimination based on the color of one's skin Colorism is, it comes, it's like the cousin of racism, I would describe it. It's discrimination, not merely based on the race that one person possesses, rather it's because of the color, the pigmentation, the actual color that permeates someone's skin. So it tends to discriminate more so towards people with darker skin than those who are lighter skin. So the darker you you are in the scale, uh, the more likely you are to attract discrimination. The lighter you are, uh, the less likely you are to dis- attract discrimination. So racism is with race, colorism is directly with color, literally. Yeah, I like to is like think of colorism as in like um, internalized racism within the own black community, you know, yeah. for us. You know, it's just like, if we're being treated like this, let's internalize it and hopefully we can climb up the social ladder in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. Have you experienced it before? Yeah, great question, ladies. Um, have I experienced it? Goodness me, I'll firstly start by touching on how I think colorism with me and with many others, I think has great psychological effects. So I grew up in a household with a mom, my mom, my mom, who is very much a Pan-Africanist. And (laughs) she taught taught me about the teachings of many Pan-Africanist thinkers and leaders of old, Marcus Garvey and the like. And a lot of these people talked about racism because this is what they confronted and many black people in Africa and the Western world confronted at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And during those times, I learned from my mother's teachings that um, people who were closer to whiteness, um, were people who were favored legally in some countries, socially and culturally, um, and people who weren't, who people were more black than others, were people who were punished. Uh, if you look at the Congo, for example, uh, there was literal restrictions within the Congo during the time of colonization that prevented black people from going to shops and participating in things that white people could on the continent of Africa. So blackness has been penalized in a lot of contexts throughout history. And people who were people who were light-skinned or um, in, in history at that time, they were sometimes referred to as mulatto people. Mm. Uh, mulatto people in this context in, in history, and let's say the Congo or Africa, even in, in, in Jamaica, because I, I think that term derived from Jamaica or America. Some of them in America, let's say, for example, could pass as white. 
So yeah. some of them didn't look black. You could tell they weren't black. Some of them were light skinned, but you, they could probably be seen as white and therefore they were favored in that context. Whereas people who were light skinned and more obviously light skinned, not black, but not white, they also too were able to detach themselves from the color black or the black racial uh, kind of feature and acquire some of the favors and the nice treatment that came with not being black. Um, so these psychological effects, historically speaking, were what was taught to me. Now, growing up um, with this in this Pan-Africanist context, my mom would always teach me that I should love my black skin. But meanwhile, a lot of people my age, particularly the girls, um, I think were pressurized by a lot of us young boys who were struggling to deal with racism in Ireland. It's almost like you're alienated from your friend groups because yeah. you're black sometimes, you're called names. So what you wanted to do was run far away from your blackness as far as possible uh, and destroy anything you saw that was close to it, as sad as that sounds. And I think the people who have really bore the brunt of that mm -hmm. has been black women. Um, and a lot of black women, according like from the boys that I hung out with when they were younger, me too when I was very young, were criticized, unfortunately, because of their blackness. And when I went to school, for example, and I'd be like, oh, you know, black boys, black girls or whatever, and like attaching stereotypes to myself. Mm -hmm. I'd, like I do this with the boys and with the friend, friend group I was in. But then I'd go home to my Pan-Africanist mother because <laughs> she told me when it was wrong. So I, I knew that all along. And it was a struggle because on the one hand, I knew better because my mom taught me. But on the other hand, my experiences of being black wasn't great. And Meanwhile, the culture, I feel, fetishized uh, anything that wasn't very black. So yeah. for a boy, it was advantageous when it came to, let's say, attracting uh, mm. girls when you're younger to be light-skinned. For a girl, uh, many girls that I spoke to at that time, they strive towards being light-skinned. And I think this cultural pressure has a huge impact. It's the reason why many of us have bleached our skin. The mm -hmm. uh, bleaching industry for cream, it's, it's a billion dollar industry in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, many people still buy those creams today. I'm not uh, making fun of anyone because of it, but a lot of these things were circulating in my mind when I was younger. So psychologically, it certainly wasn't easy. And it took a lot for me to rise above the pressures of all of this. Uh, but now I'm in a position where thankfully, my strength has been coupled with what my mom has taught me. And I'm able to Here. say, you know, we're all beautiful uh, as black people. We're all beautiful as people generally in this world. And we need to value the value that we bring to the world as human beings and not discriminate or mistreat people because of color. So it's definitely a multi-layered issue. Uh, but this would be my, my, my interaction with it, more so the psychological struggle that I've dealt with growing up. I wish I ever could. I wish I could just stand up and give you a round of applause, round of applause because that, that was that was everything about what about what you just said hit home so much because I understand like it's just it's just like everything in a nutshell and I'm fe I feel like wow someone understands what I've been through like um back to the historical part i'm from south africa so Ooh. i remember my mom talking about apartheid times she loves talking about those times and it's interesting to hear that she lived through that and mm. um, let's say um the li like light-skinned and um, biracial people to to like to to like pass they have to pass this test where they have to put like a pen or pencil in the hair and if it falls out they're considered white enough yeah. to be in a white area and stuff like that and yeah. fast forward 
to even living in Africa during the summertime, it would be scorching hot and I'd be always dark skinned. And me and my my cousin, she's like three years older than me. It's her birthday today. So shout yeah, out to happy her. Birthday. Happy birthday. I'm going to send it to her. She was she was darker than me and I'm quite dark, but she was really dark. And I remember like we'd be brushing our teeth or whatever, washing our faces and she would be trying to scrub her skin. And I'm yeah. like, girl, it's not that deep. <laughs> put that down but she's like oh joella i'm just too black i just can't help handle handle that you know and like coming to ireland like i did experience that back at home but it wasn't as severe because there were so many other black little girls and we were all friends it wasn't that deep and then you come to ireland um. and it's so surreal when someone tells you like you're so dark you need to stay inside mm. and then boys like even like boys oh, have turned around to me and said oh my gosh like i'm never going to date a black girl mm. because xyz and you mm. know just you feel so belittled at that moment and safe to say like at one point this was my lowest times mm. don't hold it against me i would go on youtube and look at bleaching stuff like i would mm. go look at it and like google it and i'm like oh my god man can i use your card like it was so stupid that that mm -hmm. even that thought process went through my mind to me. So as far as damaging my own skin just to be socially acceptable, it's heartbreaking. But you grow and yeah. evolve and you go through this process of re-loving yourself and re-loving the skin you are, you're in. Oh, Joella, yes. You spoke facts. You know, I can completely agree to you and everything. I think for me, the first time that I ever experienced some sort of colorism is that I have a sister who's relatively um, a lot fairer, much more fair, like in complexion to me. So when she was born, like everyone's like, oh my gosh, um, wow, you know, like because she was more fair skinned. I think the first time that I had like an incident was like when we were at a party. And this guy, like, he was around, like, I'm going to say 11 to 12. And then he goes to me, why is your sister so fair-skinned? And I was like, you know, Black people come in all different shades of colors, especially in Southern Africa. And then he goes to me, you know, boys like that. And then he goes to me, you're kind of, you're okay. Like, you know, it's okay. It's not too, it's acceptable. And I think it's such a dangerous, you know, I think it's so dangerous. It really shocked me that someone at 11 and 12 year old 12 years old is talking about colorism and especially when you looked at him being a dark-skinned dark man himself it's so so like it's very odd and I think also when I like kind of look back being um like my ethnicity um I definitely do see that like within my family people who were in a say lighter skinned were treated um not significantly better but I think it's just I even remember my grandmother always praising herself for being lighter skin and just mm. always I think it's so toxic to have I even think um within my previous relationship with black men mm. um it would never like leave me when I was um my previous um partner um where they made a comment and it just it hasn't it's just stayed with me and I remember we were showing to this family and I decided to show him my mom's side of the family and he goes wow there's so much more black and darker skinned and um we're like african and i was more like african but then i was like it was so weird and it's like i was like but i'm african so you know what do you expect and he said it in such a negative way that 
I almost felt a bit ashamed to show him my mom's side of the family, but it's like, this is a part of who I am. You know, this is what makes Benita. And I think I saw a lot of internalized hatred within him about because with the way that he looked, I think he really put that a lot on me, like a lot of um, comments in terms of like textures and like in terms of hair, he's always like, you know, a lot of fixation. I think that's so dangerous because I realized he isn't the only one. And I see a lot of it within my own family, unfortunately. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant, guys. No. I totally, like, like, Eric, like, right now, would you ever, like, call out your friends? Because to be fair, like, I'm putting all the cards on the table. As far as colorism and how it's inflicted, I feel like upon me was inflicted more by black men. By the, the, the people in my family, like the boys, my the cousins my age, they would straight up tell me, I'm like, I want a girl who has blonde and blue hair. Blonde and blue hair, girl. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. And they would say, like, you're so dark. And even if I do go for um, a black girl, she has to be light-skinned with lighter curls. Like, Joella, a girl. It, it was very much even you can very much tell that in society not a lot of people would accept the way i am not mm. even not even like and you think that within the black community you're in kind of like a safe space but no you're not again, you're categorized and put into criteria that you have to look a certain way especially with women and that's that's a main thing that i want to push like the struggles of a black woman you're not getting you're not just being pressurized by the white community but your own community and self to be this amazing person meanwhile everyone is legit shitting on you <laughs> honestly it's like very it's very difficult to overcome that and like talk about it because once again people are like you're just complaining a lot you do not know what you're talking about relax so eric eric like as far as your friends like would you ever talk do you like do you ever talk to your your peers about this situation and some like their behaviors if they were to say some outlandish things Oh yeah, yeah. I wouldn't uh, have it at all. Uh, not <laughs> going to front uh, on this uh, issue, uh, even if in the um, comments were degrading to self. First and foremost, even if they were speaking or uh, misspeaking about black women as black people, I would argue that the way they're speaking is still degrading to themselves, even though they're not mm, speaking yes. about themselves personally. They are speaking about themselves. They just don't understand that uh, mistreating. Uh, someone who is black because of the color of their skin, someone who falls within their community, it's also misspeaking um, about yourself. You're mistreating yourself in a way that you don't realize because you don't realize how you're interconnected with the human that you're speaking mm. about in, a, in an ill way. So I would definitely. Um, and uh, just a comment on some of the things that were said, ladies, you spoke so eloquently there. Um, yeah, there's, there's, again, lots of layers to it. Um, and I've definitely struggled over the past while, two years, uh, probably to think when, when thinking about the origins and the roots of colorism, where it's derived from. I know there's lots of pieces and, and studies and research on it specifically, but uh, I know the close proximity to whiteness is an issue. A lot of people claim that the closer you were to whiteness, the more likely you were to be privileged, which is very true in many yes. contexts throughout history. But um, there, there was like uh, Martin Luther King has a great speech where he talks about how um, everything black in the eyes of those who are demonizing black seen as ugly. Even if you look into the dictionary, I look at yes. the word, it's always dull, it's always ugly, it's always mm. evil. Black male, 
black ball. Anything with black is <laughs> anything with white is beautiful. We wear black to funerals, we wear white to weddings. Uh, yeah, like white represents innocence almost, and black is something evil and dark. And it's like I always used to think about it. if you think always like they all what does this say in like black birds a mix of white birds or something that used to like go against interracial dating? But like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then if you look at um, a speech from Malcolm X specifically, uh, he, he took a different approach to Martin Luther King, but he, t- he talks about who taught you. And when I was younger, um, when I was dealing with racism, this is the kind of stuff that spoke to me. I was very angry when it came to racism, very angry when it came to colorism. And the struggle for me personally was struggling with the fact that I knew a lot of my friends that perpetuated colorism, they didn't know. They didn't have a Pan-Africanist household where they were learning about the likes of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, why colorism was bad, why racism was bad. I was, but at the same time, I really wanted to fit in. So I really had to speak in a way that allowed me to be culturally accepted. It's something that I mm. really regret, um, but definitely was a part of my growth and the learning curve that I, I had to go through to come out the way that I did. Um, so it's a huge issue. And I think another thing, ladies, was the fact that when I looked at TV, uh, when I watched cartoons, when I watched my favorite shows on Nickelodeon. Mm. Uh, when I watch anything on TV related to models or beauty, I didn't see any beautiful black women there when, where they should have been showed, where I should have saw them more. They weren't represented uh, enough in the media. And I think if more was done to increase representation in, in a lot of areas on the television, uh, it would have planted a seed in all of our minds to allow us to see uh, the beauty that black women possess as well as seeing the beauty as other women possess and that wasn't implanted in our mind so when we went to school carrying the images in our mind from the television and were pressurized to associate with people or women who weren't black and to try and woo them <laughs> rather than wooing black women it would it just produced something ugly and, and vicious and evil and black women bore the brunt of that uh, but it's a testament to the likes of both of you to be able to come out with self-love uh, love for self and be able to overcome the hatred that you're met with. And I do hope we can be more conscious as a community and reject things that make us hate our skin color, regardless of what that is. Because, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on the issue existing within our community. Um, with the bleaching problem, it still exists. Many kids are being made to bleach their skin, mm-hmm. I've heard, because their parents associate beauty with lighter skin. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely a big problem. It honestly is. And like as like I feel like the colorism shit really got to me. Like it really, really, really hit it hit me because I'm I'm still in that process of really like loving myself and the way I was when I was like 13. Like when I was 13, I really didn't care. Everyone would tell me, Joella, you're so dark. And I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do it? Do about yeah. it. But when I moved to Ireland, I was like, there are means for me to change this. And yeah. it was so it was so icky. And I feel like loads of people go through, like once again, I said in the last episode, the phrase, the the journey of re-loving yourself when you hit like the ages of 18 especially when you leave secondary school sometimes that place could be very very toxic (laughs) as as far as like um how you see yourself in self-reflection and stuff like that I completely agree with you for me it's always been quite conflicting because I remember I wrote um an essay on colorism and then when I read back on it like a few years I sometimes question myself like was I out of place for writing it um because in terms of my experience of colorism, I don't think I've had it in the same way as usual. I think the reason why it was 
it only became prominent in my life, I think is because I was dealing with people towards who are much more fair skin and mm. mixed, um, mixed race. But I, you know, I do kind of question myself because I feel like obviously people like to put black women on scales, whether someone's light skin, brown skin, or um, dark skin, which I kind of think sometimes can be a bit problematic and add to a lot of um, division. But um, yeah, looking back on it um, in secondary school, I don't think um, I had um, too much of a hard time in terms of a school or with mm. men. I think I've always just necessarily been compared to people who'd have a lot more racially ambiguous features, as in obviously um, the lighter skin color of like the lighter eye color or um, just different like hair textures. And I think it can be so damaging that I think a lot of, as I hate to say it, but I think a lot of black men are the worst when it comes to this because, and I would say a lot of black women and how we kind of like, deal with each other i think of a lot of light-skinned women or women who have lighter skin tones there's a lot of assumption that darker skinned women are jealous of them and i don't think and that's not me being controversial but i don't think that they are you know like i don't think any dark-skinned woman is jealous but i think there's always been because i always remember um growing up my grandmother always used to say to me if I ever got into an argument with someone and I think it's so toxic looking back on it, it's like they're jealous of your complexion and they're jealous because you're prettier than them. And I think when I reflect back and what that did, it puts such an importance on looks. And I think hopefully when I become a mother, I will never tell my child that, you know, people are jealous of you because of how you look. I think I'd be more like, it's about your, the content of your character. And I think, yeah, kind of went in a bit of a ramble there, but yeah. Fine. Eric, do you think there's a, th- a thing called um, dark skin privilege? We all heard about <gasps> light skin privilege. It has been sitting on my mind for a while, and I would love to hear your opinion on it. Okay. Do I think there's such a thing as dark skin privilege specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I see. In terms of uh, coloristic privilege, it would very much depend on the context. Mm-hmm. If we are going to, in our rhetoric, um, like privilege, um, light skin, uh, as has been done in a lot of contexts throughout history, as is being done, unfortunately, in some circles uh, within the black community. Um, and I, I'll say briefly that the association um, of beauty with lightness and skin color in African circles specifically may be correlated to some extent with colonialism specifically. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the images of beauty uh, and the writers, the colonial writers, uh, many who wrote in England, for example, they associated black people with apes, with barbaric uh, bar- barbarism. They were talked about in literature and writing as if they were animals and primates that didn't know how to live, that lived in regressive ways. And their black skins, their black feature features was associated with them, with just animalistic features you'd see in the wild. So the fact that blackness was associated with this, and when it came to laws passed, it punished being black. Naturally, the natural impulse that I think one could expect is that people shying away from that because they're penalized for it. So then they privilege these people, uh, lighter, lighter features and light skin. 
in that context, light skin privilege can exist. Thankfully, we've progressed to some extent legally when it comes to blackness being penalized, although we know colorism definitely exists, definitely culturally and psychologically. So in terms of dark skin privilege, I think when we are fighting colorism and when we're fighting racism, I'm a big believer in appealing to what I like to call a deep transcendental message that is bigger than all of us. Some people see this message as they, they rest this message in God because the concept of God is bigger than all human beings. Some who might not believe might just rest it on the fact that we're all human beings with an essence, with a soul, with something deep within us that is deeper than our color, that is deeper than our features, that is deeper than our very existence. It's something that we all share. We can all be sad. We can all be angry. We can all feel vulnerable. We all love and we all die. These things are guarantees and there's something that all things that all human beings feel, regardless of how you look, what your skin color is, what your race is. This is deep and it transcends the human being itself because it's permanent and eternal whilst we are all perishable after a period of time. Once we see these things or see God, something deeper than us, it then gives us reason to come together, regardless of what our skin color is. So when it comes to fighting racism, when we're able to appeal to this deep message that binds us together, Martin Luther King did it when he said, even the white supremacists and the racists that hate me, they don't realize that in the eyes of God, they're my brother. They feel to, fail to realize this. This is their fault. Hopefully one day they do. When he took this deep approach to it, this transcendental approach to it, and allowed him to see the commonality he shared with others. I think when we're finding colorism, if we take this approach, it will bind us together and allow those who promote colorism to see how wrong they are, and allow those who are victims uh, to colorism to feel empowered and know that they are like those who mistreat them and vice versa, and that they have a bigger message and a bigger calling to pursue. But if our method of combating colorism, anti-black, pro-light skin colorism, let's mm -hmm. say, for example, is to flip the coin and say, okay, yeah. all right, throughout history, it's been anti-black, it's been pro-light. Well, guess what now? Being black is the best, the darker, the better. Um, you light-skinned people are terrible and uh, we promote this message, which is problematic because in 10 years' time when we promote it, people that are born now that don't even know what colorism is are going to be the victims of this. So it's definitely a cul-de-sac that leads us nowhere. Once we promote this message that's divisive and that yields division, it can lead to a lot of problematic outcomes and could flip the coin. And for the future, in the future, the coin may just be flipped. It might be a challenge to see how's the coin, who has the coin on the right side. So I think we need to appeal to that deeper message that binds us together and allows us to see what we have in common within the black community, but within the global society too. That is, that's so <laughs> profound. Wow. Oh, guys, I can't wait for you guys <laughs> to listen to this, guys. I just um, want it. Like, do you ever think we're going to reach that, um, that level of understanding that we are all one at the end of the day yeah. this is not me being like oh we're never gonna do it it's just a genuine question do you think that might be too idealistic to an extent because there's so many you know factors that play into this like so many either be media economics politics you know even like an individual's perspective you know yeah, um, that's such a great question. Um, uh, there's actually a really good sermon from Martin Luther King Jr. I advise you ladies and everyone listening to watch it at the after this. It's audio. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Love Your Enemy. Um, and Martin Luther King says, he talks about Jesus. He says, when Jesus told everyone around him to love 
their enemy. So many people saw him as the impractical idealist, mm -hmm. but King calls him the practical realist. When he said, love your enemy, he was promoting a message that was bigger than his time, but a message that we can pursue. And even if we did see it as something that was too idealistic, we need a North Star to work, walk towards mm. and pursue because it gives us hope and it gives us belief that tomorrow might be a better day. I'm sure if we asked a slave in the Southern Ranch, do you ever think you'll be free? Uh, 50 years into slavery, they probably laugh <laughs> at us and maybe say no. Maybe some maintain hope. Maybe some said never. Uh, it might have been idealistic for them if we told them that one day there will be a black president called Barack Hussein Obama, uh, the first black president in the country. So we've come so far as human beings. Um, we've developed a lot. Our moral compass has developed too. Uh, we're attempting something here in Ireland and in many countries around the world that hasn't been attempted throughout history. We're trying to promote a multi-ethnic, multi-racial nation that embraces all people. Throughout history, this has been rejected. There's been ethnic states everywhere. Even in Nigeria, the tribalism that exists there in my, my home country, the civil war was fought in the 70s because the tribes had differences about the nature of the country and how it should look like. So here in Ireland, we're trying it. In America, they're trying it. Across Europe, they're trying it. So we've come really far. So I believe one day, it might not be in our lifetime, but if we work towards it, we make it easier for future generations to get to a place yeah. where they can embrace each other's essence. Once upon a time, race did not exist as a concept. It meant nothing. It was meaningless. It was manufactured. Um, it was. It helped the slave owners to be able to manufacture race so that they could mistreat black people and have a reason to keep them as slaves. If I see them as animals, if we all see them as animals, I can profit from them. And you can't tell me I'm wrong because they're not human beings. It was created and manufactured for pernicious purposes. So if we created it as humans, if we created the inferiority complexes, superiority complexes, you can also abolish it. It might take time and some people might be hesitant, but yeah. you know, we can work towards. I, I appreciate that op optimism. I love it because I feel like when people tend to talk about race and stuff like that, it's very dull it's very sad which it is i'm not trying to belittle anyone's experience in any shape way or form but we do have to look within the future and see how we're going this leads to my next question as far as like race relations here in ireland as a nation it what how are we moving in your opinion are we going in the right direction are we yeah. moving forward are we participating in tokenism that has been a word that has been thrown around Round. A lot, oh gosh a lot um so what is your take on that um there's lots of things i don't like about how things are going here in ireland first and foremost i think uh the biggest issue that exists in our society is denial um i think <laughs> It's hard for us to progress when a lot of people are willing to accept the fact that racism does exist in Ireland and mm -hmm. is a problem in Ireland. And the evidence bears this out. Forget what I'm saying. This is, if some can call it anecdotal, data that has been collected, studies have been done, show that racism is a huge problem in the workplace. It's a problem, generally speaking. It's a problem when it comes to the treatment of migrants. We see it with particular political parties that are saying that to fix the homelessness crisis, we have to send away all the migrants so that there can be houses for Irish mm -hmm. people which not only is racist, vile, that makes no sense, but it also makes no sense because that does not fix homelessness, but people are buying it. So it is a huge problem and a lot of people are willing to, to accept it. And I think the most worrying thing for me for, in, in terms of those that are willing to accept it is the fact that a lot of good people who have a good, good heart, simply they, they too simply aren't, aren't willing to accept the fact that racism is real. And 
Ireland's history of racism, colonial racism from England and the mistreatment of Ireland, um, discriminatory mistreatment from England vis-a-vis uh, -vis colonialism, instead of encouraging many Irish people to say, you know what, we know what it's like, therefore let's reach the hand out to migrants and black Irish people to cater to them and help them, it sees them, I think, developing an immunity to helping others, or they feel like they're immune to being racist because we've been mistreated. So yeah. how dare you call us Irish people racist? No way. Look at us. Look at them. Our spirit we've shown throughout history what we've been through. So this has definitely been worrying. In terms of outcomes, though, I can't, I can't um, shy away from the fact that we just elected the first black Irish male, female mm -hmm. Irish male, and sorry, black female mayor in, in Irish history. We had a mayor from Port Leash, I believe, a few years ago, arise too. We have Black and Irish, a platform with 50K followers. Benicia is involved. A lot of our wow. followers, <laughs> yeah, Black and white, supporting our cause. It's been shared by the Tanisha, uh, Leo Varadkar, the page and the work that the page does. We have Emma DeBerry, a Black author who writes profoundly That's about the issue of race. Mm -hmm. He's platformed all across the country, all across this part of the world, the UK too to speak about the issue of race. We have people who are willing to listen and learn and grow. We have tolerance. We have a lot of politicians speaking in favor of the cause. So, I, I, and, and last year with the BLM protests, I didn't just see black people out there or migrants out there. I also saw white people there too. Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of promising sides for the future. And I think there's a lot of leeway and space for us to promote growth here in Ireland. We just have to continue to, to choose to garner support, utilize energy, but also choose the right approach and method um, and I would always resort to back to what we said earlier about that transcendental deep message that we need to promote. Balancing that, of course, with the needs of migrants. Of course, I, although I realize that I am common with everyone around me, white, black, Irish, Nigerian, at the same time, I'm proud of being Nigerian. So being able to maintain my pride in being black, my pride in being Nigerian with an understanding and a realization that I'm human like everyone else around me. Uh, and therefore, they are my brothers, those who are not black or Nigerian, as I am theirs or sisters. So, yeah. Wow. 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 So well spoken. Like, every time you speak, I'm just like, Benita was right. She was right. <laughs> I was like, if there's anybody, guys, that we need to get on this podcast, it's Eric. Because he just, blo guys, he just blows me away every single time. Yeah. Just like, so profound, so educated, but so, but he has his own unique view on like, everything. Exactly. Thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate it. Ooh, I had a question there. It's so like every time you speak, I'm like, oh, that would be so interesting. Um, Oh, okay. Back at it again. Like, so within Ireland, I know that there is its faults and stuff like that, but the progress so far, like, what is your take on it? Are we practicing a lot of tokenism, which I feel like is happening in some situations. Mm -hmm. I won't even lie. Mm -hmm. um, and like, how can we, how can like organizations tackle that? You know, because it's very difficult, you know, you're like, okay, I'm trying to include minorities in whatever you're doing but at the same time you see like two and you're like is this inclusion or you're just are, are you just doing this just so you can say no I we are an inclusive brand we're all for the people type of vibe you know I feel like how how can one like someone's probably listening and they want to start a project and they want to be inclusive or whatever how can they tackle that type of issue to avoid being labeled a token a tokenist 
Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, firstly, the first part of the question is tokenism exists here in Ireland. Um, yeah, definitely, I think it exists. Mm-hmm. It's very profound at this time because the culture, the general culture, the cultural feel is one that condemns racism. And a lot of people are impassioned about the subject and they're mobilized by the issue and want to genuinely eradicate racism from society. And therefore, these people buy things. We all need to buy things, clothes, food. Uh, and therefore, those who sell them these things, businesses, corporations, who want to have an advantage in the market, um, they need to cater to the uh, sensitivities of the buyers in our society. So then they prioritize doing things that they want to see because it allow them, allows them to sell their products. So there is tokenism in that context. I think in the realm of politics too, I think we're definitely, unfortunately, might, we might get to see some tokenism there too. People wanting to run a particular candidate because it looks good. Uh, and it makes the party seem more diverse. We're seeing this in the corporate world also. It's definitely disheartening. Um, and I think it can be really demoralizing to an individual. The feeling that I'm there not because of who I am completely, not because of what I can offer, mm-hmm. but all because of my race. Look, if you appoint me partly because of my race, because you want diversity, fair. But I want to prove to you that I'm there because of my abilities. I'm sure yeah. this is an urge I would have, I'm sure you would have it to many people listening. So it is demoralizing and it's actually not fair on the person you're hiring. And it, I think it actually, it, it disproves the idea that you are not racist because um, you're appointing somebody because of the color as if they're a mere token, hence the term tokenism or pawn in your game. And I think it's quite pernicious. But um, in terms of how people can go about amplifying diversity without being tokenistic, I think it's it's all about your procedures and measures. How do you appoint people? How do you consider appointing people too? Um, I, I do think meritocracy, the idea is very flawed because um, mm. society definitely does not always um, reward those who are the most meritous and those with the most abilities and that are most capable. But trying to ensure your means and measures of appointing or employing someone are based as much as possible on their abilities is very important. I think... The, the urge to just get black people in there, to get ethnic minorities in there uh, is understandable. But I actually think when it comes to politics, for example, the solution is to allow more black people to know about their political rights and to get them yeah. in spaces where they can be educated and know the importance of running. Once you mm-hmm. do this and get people in those spaces, they themselves can make the conscious decision to run. And once that occurs, I think naturally black people will flow into politics, migrants will flow into politics because there's a lot of talent in that pool. But when, when the idea is, let's just tick a box, let's just up the number, mm-hmm. regardless of the process, it's not necessarily about representation. It's not necessarily about holistic representation where people can see themselves in politics. It's only about ticking a box. So whether they stay or not is, is not my concern. It's not sustainable. Um, and I think if the process is slow, and we're educating people and allow them to make a decision and it's sustainable, it's worth taking this route. Whereas if we're just trying to rush things to make us look good and favorable and fashionable, uh, I don't think that's the right approach to take to it. So try and make sure that it's pure, your process, and you are basing it on merit, and you're trying to include people at the same time. Balancing those three factors, I think, is important. I completely agree with you. As someone who is involved um, with like in like in terms of like acting and stuff, I definitely see it with my sister. We recently went for a checkup with the agency, and it's like he was like, you know, ever since Black Lives Matter, there's been such a demand for um, like Black and Asians. And when I think about it, it's so so true. But it's like 
if anyone who's listening, who's an actor or model or singer, they know before Black Lives Matter, it was almost it's so impossible to get anything. I remember struggled for years in terms of getting anything. Majority of the times, if you were getting any casting calls, it would be for London or maybe something international. Ireland just did not provide um, any opportunities um, for people of color, specifically um, Black people in terms of acting, modeling. And now it's kind of difficult because it's like, even when I see a lot of the um, pitches for like what's going, like for like either the film or the new season, it is very much, it just very much does scream tokenism because it's like, it's almost like we have to prove, oh, we're a very diverse agency or we're a very diverse um, like filmmakers or company. And it's like, it doesn't really seem genuine because it seems a lot mm. of the times with tokenism, what happens is like the stories that they tell they end up not being that genuine, not necessarily coming from a good place. It's very much for show and tell, like, hey, guys, you know, we're not racist. Like Eric said, it kind of, like you as a person who was chosen, you feel like you're you're not here because of your abilities, Just you're just here because of your race to show this is an inclusive environment. And it's so funny when like people say inclusion, it's always inclusion within the lower levels of corporations and stuff like that, not in the higher up of management. And it's just like, you don't even know how to practice it well. And it's really bad. It looks bad upon you. Anyway, guys, I think we are going to wrap this up up unfortunately yes, over no because eric was just guys eric was just providing us with everything that we needed and more nothing but straight facts eric before you leave us any last words yeah um thank you so much Joala and benisha for having me on you're two amazing ladies as i said at the start so amazing uh eloquent um i think what you're doing here is fantastic um and yeah, just everybody, make sure to check out the podcast regularly. Their content <laughs> is so I definitely will be. So thanks so much for having me on. Honestly, Eric, thank you for thank you just for speaking. Like, every, like at the end of this, now I'm just gonna do all my research and start reading again just to expand my knowledge on everything. You know. Anyway. To the listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Build Different. different. Hashtag Build Different. Sorry. <laughs> every time. Every <laughs> single hashtag Build Different. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions or queries, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram. We might start a TikTok for the younger kids. But yes. To be fair, we're young enough. We're like, we're not even in our 20s yet. Except for Benia. That's scary. But <laughs> okay. I t- guys. <laughs> But anyway, jokes aside, thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye